0: Welcome to the Time for Teaching podcast. I'm Kelly Fox.
1: And I'm Kim Reed, And we're so excited to be bringing you this episode. Recently at the Focus on Teaching conference, we had the chance to sit down with the amazing Dr. Robert Luke, CEO of eCampus. He was such an interesting and fun guy.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun, actually, Kim, I have to say. completely nervous um but thank goodness
1: I remembered to press record <laughs> Woo-hoo. yes me too definitely nervous uh but it was great it was different to be live and not be able to edit or start again because that's kind of our comfort zone uh but I think we did okay and now we can edit so now we can edit out all now. the things that we said
0: <laughs> <laughs> what we said and did yes so I think people got to see the true Kim and Kelly for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I hope folks really enjoy this episode. Uh, we ended up dividing it into two parts, part one and part two. So uh, Robert talks about educational technology and how it has changed over the years. And he also talks about remote teaching
1: versus online teaching and scaling online teaching. Right. And then he also dives into a discussion about equity, diversity and inclusion and micro-credentials. We tried to hit as many topics as we could in the hour that we had with Robert we probably could have talked to him for four or five hours and still had an no interesting kidding. fun chat uh, but anyway we hope you enjoy this two-part episode with Dr. Robert Liu.
0: Welcome everybody I am Kelly Fox, and I am the co host of the Time
1: for Teaching podcast, and very happy to be here with you today. I'm Kim Reed, co host of my mom's ninth favorite podcast, Time for Teaching. (laughs) And I just want to clarify, Kelly, that by happy you mean terrified, right?
0: (laughs) Completely terrified, absolutely. So we have uh, currently 95 people uh, on the call today. Um, And so thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us today. But I will confess that usually when Kim Kim and I are doing our Time for Teaching podcast. It's the two of us laughing at
1: our own jokes or high-fiving each other, and we can edit out things. Okay, so we're thrilled to be here at the 2021 FOTC and are excited to welcome Dr. Robert Luke, CEO of eCampus here with us today. <laughs> Yay! Hi, thank you. <laughs> Robert is an incredibly innovative, accomplished, forward-thinking, inclusive, and intelligent fellow. His list of accolades is long, like longer than the lineup for vaccines <laughs> that's shoppers right now. He's very well versed <laughs> in the world of post-secondary education, having spent the last 20 years working pretty much equally in the college and university systems in Ontario. And if you're like us, you may be a little interested in taking a minute to get to know Dr. Luke as a person before we invite him to share as a professional. So here we go. Kelly, what else do we need to know about Robert before we get started?
0: All right. Well, I'm glad you asked. So Saskatchewan, homed. To chiseled badlands, thick boreal forests, sand dunes, tens of thousands of lakes, and the birthplace of Robert Luke. Robert had a strong affinity for education and learning right from the start, sharing that he, you know, air quotes, was and am always happy to be learning, a sentiment I'm sure many of us working in this field share. Robert's favorite subject was contextual and changed throughout his educational journey but a passion for literature which he calls words worlds of words i just love that and a unique and interesting course during grad school called ghost postmodernism we might have to talk a little bit about that one resulted in a couple of notable favorites his pet peeves and is his pets providing early wake up calls, usually about 10 minutes before the alarm clock, which is about the most precious moments of sleep. <laughs> he recently watched and loved the Academy Award winning Netflix documentary, My Octopus Teacher, which is highly recommended. And he believes happiness is a state of mind, which is nourished by many things, including connections to nature. He was a carpenter before he became an academic. So he can provide confident and informed insight on systemic uh, inequality in education and possibly also make you a kick-ass side table. Robert, we're thrilled to be sharing this virtual space with you today. I hope the fire isn't too hot for you. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here.
2: Thank you very much, uh, both of you. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today.
1: We're so happy to have you here, and we've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you over the last little while preparing for today. So we're gonna jump in. So when we were asked to host this fireside chat, we asked ourselves, are we the best fit for this interview? No, no. <laughs> but have we risen to the occasion and prepped and practiced so that we're feeling confident and prepared? Also, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but are we excited about today and having the chance to chat with you, Robert? Heck yes. So let's jump in.
0: All right. So Robert, we did some good old fashioned online creeping. That's how you get to know people these days. And we learned right. that you held a held positions as both a courseware development specialist at the university of lethbridge and a researcher in the adaptive technology resource center at the university of toronto around the time when shania saying you're still the one and will smith was getting jiggy with it so we know that you've got some deep roots in the root in the field and world of educational technology if you could speak Uh, to the Robert, so if you could talk to the Robert of the late 90s and early 2000s now, what would you tell him? So how has EdTech and the place of technology and education changed in the past two decades? Um, what do you think the role of educators is in the expansion and growth of educational technology?
2: Great questions. I think the first thing that I would do is I would tell the Robert to the 1990s to buy Netflix stock when they did their IPO.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> missed opportunity Absolutely. there. Uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe the world, would, my world might be a bit, bit of a different uh, space uh, had I taken that, <laughs> if I could go back and take that advice. Um, but I think, I mean, certainly I'm an educator educational technology perspective, I mean, I think it's important to understand that we've always had technology in education, right? We've had the VCR, some of us may have beta, max, that's not what it's called, <laughs> you know, the television, the radio, printing press, go all the way back. If uh, those of you are, are fans of the Phaedrus, uh, Plato's Phaedrus, you could read about the origins of writing and how the origins of writing is basically, to paraphrase Langdon Winner, uh, technology that's licensed to forget. So, you know, plot, spoiler alert, if you don't want to go read the Phaedrus, um, the idea is that Thoth, who I think was the god of writing, said, oh, this writing thing is bad because it's going to make people forget. They won't have to remember things anymore. So like, we have to understand that there, we've always had technology in education. I think the big difference is uh, with the, the Internet and the World Wide Web, uh, what we have is... Uh, a more de- democratic, if you will, uh, availability of information. It assumes a lot of things though. it assumes but, digital literacy and I don't mean you know being able to take a picture and post it on Instagram, but digital literacy for productivity. And what that means to be able to use these tools in teaching and learning, which I think is a is a big deal. Uh, it in, it also assumes access, accessibility. On the one hand, uh, the work that I did at the University of Toronto uh, was uh, really focused on accessibility. So working on, on technology for people with disabilities and how is it that we can ensure that people can access a um, like a given environment. <laughs> Yuta uh, Ennis is the director there, uh, and as it turns out, she's now over at OCAD University, where I came from before here. And so I got to work for her again as a VP research. It was my job to uh, support her at OCAD U. Uh, but she has said before, she does a lot of work on inclu- what's called inclusive design now, that, that you know, disability fundamentally is a mismatch between a person and the environment that they're in. And so, for example, we're here on a on a discussion. We have audio. We have video. Um, if suddenly the audio didn't work, we would all have a functional disability at that moment in time, and therefore our accessibility is affected is and impacted. And so one of the ways that we address those is to ensure things like closed captioning, for instance, um which happens simultaneously, which is 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 there to ensure that people can access information as it is produced in this case in real time. actually, pro tip, you may not know this, uh, but closed captioning, the most wide use wide use or biggest use of closed captioning are bars uh, because that's the place where you know people are talking loudly, but they still want to hear what's happening on the on the TV. That's one of those things actually where uh, it would totally make sense. Um, who doesn't want to know whatever the story is when you're uh, across the, across the room of a crowded bar? Um, but I think it's, it points to one of the things that that are important lesson of accessibility, which are you know what we could call electronic curb cuts, and and what makes things convenient for some makes it possible for others. And I think that's uh, that's the I think one of the biggest lessons that I've taken through my time in educational technology. Um, but really to get back to answering the question that you asked and not the question that I, I wanted to answer, um, I would say, you know, the, the place of technology has actually changed a lot, uh, even though I started by saying that we've had a lot of technology and education from the outset. Uh, really, technology is more at the fore now, and you know even because we're all working remotely in this conference. And congratulations, by the way, on standing up a fantastic conference with you know basically Thank 500 you. people coming in. This is an amazing, uh, amazing achievement and accomplishment, and I think a testament to your leadership, the collective leadership of of what you're doing there at Georgian, and 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 ins- and ensuring that. Faculty are well supported uh, in learning how to adapt to that technology. Uh, so I think you know technology's place in education has always been there. Uh, now it's even more to the fore, and our goal should be to figure out how do we make that technology disappear to the extent that it becomes an assumed part of what we are doing. And so you know, thinking past the you know the interface, if you will and getting to the, so thinking past the transactional and getting to the transformational aspects. So we have a whole host of technologies that are working to connect us today. And, you know, the most important part of that technology or about that connection is the human part. As you mentioned, you know, we spent a little bit of time prior to this uh, getting to know each other, and answering a few uh, questions, uh, and it was really enjoyable. And you know, I I learned about you know who you are as people, which is important, and also you know why it's important for you to to have these kind of conversations. And and so to me, the technology in this case can almost disappear. Not quite, because I can. If I look outside of the frame, I see my computer, my cat sleeping beside me. She's not part of the technology, but she thinks she is. Um, and my point is that that we make that human connection that is based on you know the platforms uh, that we have. So I think that 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 has increased, but it has increased a lot of other things. Our knowledge of disparity, our knowledge of the need for access and accessibility. And I think you know, to your last point about the role of educators and the expansion and growth, the one thing that I think is incumbent upon us is to experiment and learn and ensure that good pedagogy drives the, the use of a technology. That we don't want to live in a technologically determined, overly techno- technologically determined determined world. And Sarah Wendorf, Greg Kelly, and George and team are, are the superstars. And I also learned that Jill won an award today. Uh, so congrats to Jill for being awesome. She did. Sorry about that
1: pause there. <laughs> this is the one time when I asked for no distractions and I have someone being on my door. <laughs> someone going, Mama, Mama. One hour people, that's all I need. <laughs> Okay, so wonderful. So there's so many great things to pull out of that, Robert. So thank you so much. So when we're talking about the idea of moving from transactional to transformational, um, we want to talk a little bit about what the transition or the um, the translation into online teaching looks like. So I hope you'll bear with me here because there is an important question buried in this, I promise. So I just want to put it out there. <laughs> this seems so random now. Now that I'm not just reading it on the paper and I'm actually saying it out loud, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> so I have a lime intolerance it's not an allergy i just can't stomach them i suspect that it's linked to a night in college where a friend brought over a few bottles of tequila she had carried with her on a trip to mexico and a bag of limes i'm sure you can you can uh figure out what the rest of the story is so the bottom line is i want to like limes but there's a negative association with the morning after the night before that's just too real for me and i promise i am inching my way closer to a question here. <laughs> This past year has really been a year of innovation and experimentation with some amazing lessons learned. We have also heard from some that they cannot wait to get back to -to face-to-face because it's the only way that they feel confident engaging their students, and that online teaching isn't for them, at least not now. My thought is that there's been a particular picture painted of what remote teaching is, isn't, does, and doesn't do, so faculty may continue to associate a negative experience from the pandemic to online learning in general. So, I guess my concern is that folks may be linking online learning to COVID and remote learning the same way that my brain links limes <laughs> to tequila. <laughs> Hopefully, that made sense. So, how can we help our faculty to love limes or online teaching? And what is eCampus's role in this? Oh, my first reaction is salt. Where's the salt in that? Uh, <laughs> it's there, that trust me, it is there. <laughs>
2: there. Okay, just making sure. Um, uh, I learned years ago, this is a totally random story, but Crispin Glover made me a margarita once in New Mexico, which we can get to later, wow. um, but I learned that the secret to loving limes and so tequila is agave syrup. So that's just a pro tip. Um, it's, it's, Thank it's, you. It's a really good, you're welcome. You're welcome. I, 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 you
0: know. Where were you yeah, 10 wait, years wait. ago?
2: <laughs> <laughs> So I think you're I mean you're I think what you're what you're the issue you're raising is actually quite important and it actually you're raising a couple of issues. One, what does normal look like? And two, uh is the is the limeness of online emergency remote teaching any way related to the tequila of pandemic? I think it's like how I get that and how do we, you know, maybe shake that up with some agave and possibly some orange liqueur to make a margarita out of that. So that when we get to post pandemic, we're, I don't know, having a cocktail, uh, clearly where Kelly is, uh, outside. Um, (laughs) in all seriousness though, the, we do, I, I do think that there is a danger that we will equate, um, online learning with what happened what is happening right now in the pandemic and i don't think that it's the case i certainly know that it is not the case that is what what is happening now is not what quality online learning looks like at scale and i think the the it's not to say that we're not doing a good job we're all doing the best we can under the circumstances that we are we're navigating a a once-in-a-century pandemic that has completely turned the world upside down and, you know, in many respects, you know, we all have the privilege of isolating uh, today and, you know, we're, we're kind of connecting in this way um, because it's, it's what we have to do in order to to get through. And there is a danger that people will think of um, online learning as emergency remote teaching. But I think it's important to understand, you know, round about March 1st last year, online learning was something that maybe five percent of our post-secondary education did right? And, and did it well. And then round about March 18th, it was the only thing that we could do for a while. And so that, that big shift uh, caused a lot of people who have had possibly no experience with it to have to do it uh, themselves. And and if I, I was a a professor at one point in time, I know what it's like to teach and when you teach and it, and it's not like it's the easiest thing in the world to roll up into a a classroom and just start lecturing. Um, But it's, You know, because there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. You have to prepare your lesson. You have to know you've, you've been to school for however long to learn what you know and come in and you're the expert and then you can you can be there and you can facilitate the discussion. Online learning requires us to think a lot more in advance and to do a lot of preparation. And when we are not experienced with that, we're maybe not resourced to that at scale, uh, and we're uncertain, it puts us in a in an awkward position. If I'm the professor and it is my job to be the person who knows something about whatever topic I happen to be teaching, I used to teach human-centered design, uh, suddenly I'm in a position in online learning if I have no experience with it, of not being the expert in control of the teaching environment or the learning environment. And that's an incredibly risky thing on a personal level. So for every person's every person's uh, experience. And so I think it's we have to understand that, first of all, we have to understand that not everybody had that experience uh, a priori. So before the the pandemic. I read an op-ed in one of the newspapers uh, early on sometime last year early on in the pandemic, and it was uh, the prophet of university saying, you know, this virtual learning is not real learning, and went on to make this argument how the only real learning was him going into a classroom, standing before students and opining and bringing forth the wisdom of many years of, of erudition that he had been the beneficiary of. And I, and I think that that's a very dangerous set of assumptions. And it tells me that virtual learning is not real to that person. It's not real learning to that person precisely because that person has no experience with virtual learning and probably no experience as virtual teaching. And it's very important to understand that when we don't teach people how to teach, we shouldn't expect them to be proficient at doing this. So I think there's a lot of assumptions based on, on, the, on what you're saying there. And how we start to unpack that is to start to, you know, bring that kind of human-centered design to things and say, well, what did we collectively experience when we had to um, what does it look like in the future? Because I'm, I'm not certain. First of all, I don't know when we are going back into face-to-face learning uh, at scale. I think this is not an area where where anybody necessarily wants to be the leader. I think it's important for us to collectively make sound decisions based on you know the best public health uh, that put guidelines that we can. Uh, but when we do, uh, it's probably the case that we will have a lot more hybrid learning. Um, because there are good things about it. I look at the future, I think about the future as being one about options. And one thing we know is that, so let's clearly understand that there are access issues, accessibility issues and equity issues that need to be tended to, that we have a a better understanding of now. Uh, But for people, for instance, who are working uh, and can't afford to uh, not work, having online flexible learning options is a great way to continue their education, retrain, reskill, and that kind of thing. Uh, So I I think that's just one example of how options are going to be important going forward. It does mean that, and this kind of gets to our role as Ontario. it does mean that we need to ensure that we have the kind of supports in place. So what kind of professional development do our faculty need that you are, are doing with your conference quite excellently, I would say. Um, What kind of professional development can we provide the faculty that are teaching across the sector? How do we create these communities of practice that are going to help people to learn from and with each other and to de-risk the not knowing component of being a proficient teacher? Because, it's as I said, it's incredibly scary when you're when what you're used to is no longer available. And we all have to basically like we're all learning a living. Uh, you know, in, at this time, and we all have to relearn how to learn and how to teach. And if we can do that with some sensitivity uh, and and some shared sense of purpose, then I think that we we'll we'll have a better a better time of it to create those options. And for us at Ecampus Ontario, it's about providing the kind of platforms and the kind of programs that are going to help you do the job that that you want to do, which is to teach people and to help them learn wherever they are and whenever they are sorry my screen my camera might be moving because my cat has arrived in the, <laughs> the
1: cat is woken get, up We did get the cat's consent to be on recorded video though so we're we good did. to go if she makes an appearance <laughs> <Yeah.
0: Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Well, I tell you, you are singing uh, our song from our songbook. That's absolutely, and uh, I will commend um, eCampus for all of the work that uh, is being out of eCampus right now. It's tremendous what is happening, um, and of course, we are the beneficiary of that as well. So, but I just um, in when we were talking ahead of time um, and sort of getting ready for our session today. Um, you had said something. Well, you actually said tons of things, but um, one of the things that really resonated with us, and um, we hope you might be willing to expand a little bit on this, but we we also saw these sentiments reflected in your Twitter account um, through posts and images shared supporting marginalized groups, and you sort of touched on that a little bit here. But so in our discussions, you said um, we should not ignore the fact that we are all people, and the systems we are a part of are systematically. Unequal. So, what does that mean to us as an, as educators, and what can we do today, like now, to be part of leveraging technology and online learning to provide equitable opportunities for all learners?
2: This this is a great question. Uh, In some respects, it's too bad we have to ask this question, but at least we're having the the conversation. We know from you know we know that the pandemic has exacerbated social inequality. We know that our societies have problems with anti-black, anti-biPOC, anti-indigenous racism, um, and it's incumbent upon us to ensure that we can stand up the most equitable environments that we that we can, and that means you know we. Have, I personally have a focus on equity, decolonization, diversity, and inclusion, and trying to bring that lens to through everything we do. So, what does that mean for technology? What does that mean for the people we hire? What does that mean to the content we produce and the ways in which we are teaching? And that's a difficult thing, uh, I think, to to have to have a conversation about, I suppose. But, but it's incumbent upon all of us to do the labor, the like the the emotional and mental labor that is required in order to in order to build a more just and inclusive society. And I mean, the technology piece is, you know, it's interesting in in many respects because it can exacerbate digital divides. Uh, You know, like there's so many technologies that are are at play today, right? It's my laptop is in front of me. Uh, You know, it's standing on a little thing to bring it up so I don't have to like bend down to look at it. Uh, It's powered into a power. It's on my Wi-Fi, which is, you know, hooked up to the 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 wider internet through some gigapop TCIP switches that are moving. Like there's so many things that are that are going and all of those things have been built with certain biases. And so when when we have that awareness as educators, we are able to to take that lens and put it into any aspect of what we teach. So on the on the face of it, it's about ensuring that everybody understands what equity and decolonization means uh, for our society, we all have a responsibility to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. And so that as a content area needs to be taught and it can be taught in any medium, right? It could be taught online, face to face, hybrid, what have you. But we also need to take that lens to interrogating the location of the technologies that we use and also the the disciplines that we teach across the board. And so in some respects, technology is is um it's almost in the background of, of that discussion uh, yet it is it is a conveyance uh, uh, so it's our ability to broadcast on the one hand and so for example um you know we have a lot of content in the in the virtual li- in the open library uh, that and a lot of content coming that'll be produced about decolonization and diversity and equity and inclusion and that can be shared and so there's some, there's an example of how educators people like you are creating content for distributed mediums or flexible or online learning Putting that in a place like our online library, the Open Library, and enabling that to be shared. So in that case, technology is actually quite material to how we are helping the the uh, EDI equity, decolonization, diversity, and inclusion mandate that we all have and share um, across the board. And and when we when we so when we think about technology like that, it's enabling. But we can't lose sight of the fact that not everybody has a has a high throughput connection. Uh, there are people in the north who don't uh, have. Uh, there are people. You know, I happen to live in East Toronto. There's people north of me, not far north of me, who don't have a reliable uh, internet connection. Yeah. Um, I was thinking further north than Barry, but yeah, sure. Like, it's, uh, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's it's not actually that far north. It's even up in you know north of Ajax and places like that, that we have. People. So we have staff that live everywhere, and, and everybody's access to technology is not the same. Uh, the time and the ability, you know, those are those are all things that layer on, on top of each other. Uh, I, I mean, I think the, the answer to this is quite simple, that we have a responsibility. We have an ability to respond to the social the context in which we currently live. And as educators, we have a special responsibility to provide leadership and that leadership is also followship it's like i don't know i'm i don't know all the answers to this but it's still incumbent upon me to do the emotional labor that is required to ensure that that everybody can see themselves uh, in the in the future those options that we talked about before they have to be available to to everybody well, one thing i would add to this you know we talk a lot about ai artificial intelligence And there's a lot of good work happening now that shows that artificial intelligence has a lot of baked in biases in it because it's built by people. And when those systems are are built with baked in biases that that you might not even see the person making it might even I'm not biased. Uh, They don't they don't know that they are, and they are breaking in those biases into the system there's many well-known examples, but that's an example where we have uh, as educators a responsibility to say, okay, AI is pretty cool, we can use that to make some you know great adaptive learning environments, but let's re- be very clear about what is going what's the input to those technologies such that the output and the outcome is something that uh, it's a result that we want and and that is going to support our goals of equity.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we just had a chat recently on the podcast with Jill Esmond, and she um, echoed one of the things that you said, so I just wanted to kind of reiterate that again, the idea that there are no sidelines when it comes to EDDI work, and that we're all players in the game. Um, and so, if you you know, feel like you want to get more involved, it sounds like eCampus has some wonderful resources, Georgian has some wonderful resources, I'm sure Cambrian and all the other colleges represented here also have wonderful resources. Um, so, if you're looking for a place to start, you already in the game. Um, But if you're looking for resources or you're looking for ways to become more involved, um, reach out, ask questions and be a part of uh, positive change and positive action. So that's wonderful. Thank you so much for that.
2: Well, no, for sure. And and just it's worth reinforcing that because a lot of people have resources and let's share those resources. That's one of the things that we believe in. Open educational resources, the open library, it's there for you to use things yeah Uh, like to to use and adapt and and contribute and when we do that we create a better groundswell that you know the rising tide lifting all boats
0: so that's the end of part one please join us uh for the next episode at part two with dr robert luke